So I'm 36 years old, and my first experience with the video game business was neighbors who were wealthier than us bringing home an Atari 2600 and playing it. And it was a pretty definitive moment for me. I also remember going to school and on an Apple II playing a game called Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, which was the first, yeah, awesome game, <laughs> which was the first time I played a game kind of in, in the school context. And when you ask most people about the video game business and what's significant, most people think that the Atari 2600 is really sort of the nexus, the, the catalyst of the video game business, but I actually think that Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego is probably the most important video game ever made principally because it was the first and the last time that parents, teachers, and kids all agreed that a video game was awesome. <laughs> now, that was a long time ago. In fact, it was 1987, and it may surprise you to know that Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego continues to be the last substantial giant hit in the edutainment business, despite the fact that it was 1987, which is such an incredibly long time ago, and I'm only 36, so you can do the math, that things are completely different today from when they were, just as a simple example. In 1987, we thought this guy was kind of crazy. Then we met this dude, who has really changed our perspective on that subject. <laughs> things have changed. Anti-Bush political humor goes a long way in Western Europe. Okay. So between 1987 and now, I played a lot of this game called Civilization, which was designed by a guy named Sid Meier. In fact, I spent about eight to 10,000 hours of my life playing Civilization, which is a long time I probably should have spent studying. But nonetheless, I managed to turn this love of video games into a job, first working on the Game Developers Conference, helping to start the first successful digital distribution company in games called Trimedia, and then now writing the gamification blog, and I'm author of two books on the subject of gamification, including the recent uh, Gamification by Design, which is published by O'Reilly, and I chair the Gamification Summit, which is an event that uh, brings all this stuff together. So in many ways, I am parents' sort of dream of how somebody can turn a sedentary lifestyle of playing video games into an actual career that pays real money. And so when I get invited to an event like this, I'm sure that all of you expect me to get up here and say, games are awesome for your children, right? Because I'm a games guy and this is how I make my living. <laughs> games will help children. But instead, I want to ask you a different question, which is really, who needs games help? And so I, I started this process by thinking about reading a particular article in the New York Times recently. And in the article, a neuroscientist was talking about how children were presenting themselves with attention deficit disorder. And their parents would come in and they'd say, my kid can't possibly have ADD because they're super, super good at focusing on video games. But when they go to school, they're really bad. And the neuroscientist was debunking this idea right, in the article. She trotted out researchers like Dr. Christopher Lucas at NYU who said games don't teach the right kind of attention skills, right, where kids have sustained attention where they're not receiving regular rewards. And she trotted out experts like Dr. Dimitri Christakis at the University of Washington who said that kids who play a lot of video games may find the real world unpalatable or uninteresting as a result of their uh, sensitization to games. And so I sat there and I thought to myself, I was scratching my head and I thought to myself, is it that our children have ADD, or is our world just too freaking slow for our children to appreciate? Seriously, consider, consider the picture you're looking at right now, like my, in, my, in my era, even my grandfather's era, sitting down on a Sunday afternoon to read a good book with a cup of tea. Like, I just have to say, I don't think that today's kids are ever going to do that. And the evidence is found in the games that they play. 
consider the video game world of Warcraft. When I was growing up, the maximum skill that I was expected to display in a video game was simple hand-eye coordination, a joystick and a like firing button. Today's kids play games in which they're expected to chat in text and voice operate a character, follow long and short-term objectives, and deal with their parents interrupting them all the time to talk to them, <laughs> kids have to have an extraordinary multitasking skill to be able to achieve things today. We never had to have that. It turns out things like that actually make you smarter. Research by Arne May et al. at the University of Regensburg in Germany found that when they gave participants, and this was actually done on adults, simple tasks to learn, like juggling, in 12 weeks, people who were asked to learn juggling display a marked increase in gray matter in their brain. On an MRI, you can see people get more gray matter after 12 weeks of learning juggling. And in 2008, they went back and redid the study to see why the gray matter increased, and they discovered it was the act of learning that produced the increased gray matter, not performance at the activity itself which is a very, very interesting finding. It also may reinforce this idea, which should go over well here as well, that multilingual people outperform monolingual people on most standardized tests by about 15%. There's something that happens in the brain from that kind of activity. And Andrea Kusevsky, speaking at Harvard, talked about these five things that people do to increase their gray matter and to teach themselves uh, to increase their fluid intelligence. And fluid intelligence is the intelligence we use to problem solve. It's different from crystalline intelligence. It helps us problem solve. And she identified from the research that there were five things you could do. Seek novelty, challenge yourself, think creatively, do things the hard way, and network. Think about those five things. Any of you play video games? Does it resemble the basic pattern of a video game to you in any way? These are five things that recur in all very successful video games. And it, it also is connected to a constant and exponential increase in learning. Video games fundamentally present a continuous process of learning to users. They don't just learn for a little while and then stop. They are constantly evolving and moving forward. It may, in fact, help us to explain the Flynn effect, finally. And the Flynn effect, for those of you who don't know, is the pattern that human intelligence is actually rising over time. So if we look at the history of IQ, people, in fact, are getting smarter. In the U.S. right now, average IQ is rising at 0.36 points of IQ per year. Now, what's been very interesting is that in some countries, not to call anyone out but Denmark and Norway, in some countries, overall, crystalline IQ has stopped or slowed down or declined. In other countries, though, particularly where we're looking at fluid IQ, fluid intelligence, the number is increasing and the rate of fluid intelligence increase is increasing starting in the 1990s. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> in fact, games are wired to produce a particular kind of reaction in people, right? So we've got this learning brain increase, multitasking brain increase connection. We also have a strong dopamine loop in the brain. So, as games present a challenge and you struggle to achieve that challenge and you overcome it, dopamine is released in your brain. And that produces an intrinsic reinforcement, uh, in the words of Judy, that produces an intrinsic reinforcement that causes you to go back and like keep seeking that activity over and over and over again. So this is really, really powerful stuff. And I want to introduce you to an educator who understands this in intricate detail named Ananth Pai. Ananth was a very successful business person who worked on process re-engineering. When his kids went into school in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, a suburb of Minneapolis, St. Paul, 
he saw the education system and decided he wanted to do something about it. So as an adult, he went back and got a master's in ed and took over a class at White Bear Lake Elementary School. And Anant Pai replaced the standard curriculum with a video game-based curriculum of his own design, separating the kids into learning styles and giving them Nintendo DSs and computer games, everything off the shelf, nothing custom, giving them um, Nintendo DSs and computer games that were both individual and social to play um, that taught them math and language. And let me tell you what happened. In the space of 18 weeks, 18 weeks, Mr. Pai's class went from a below third grade level in reading and math to a mid fourth grade level in reading and math in 18 weeks of a game-based curriculum. And more importantly, when you talk to the children, when they're interviewed on television, even away from Mr. Pai, when they're interviewed on television, they say two things over and over again that helps them learn in his class. Learning is fun, and learning is multiplayer. Whether they use those exact words or not, they say learning is fun and learning is multiplayer. And this is the key to making that experience really successful for kids. It's also true, though, that we need to talk about the relationship between kids and violence in games. Study after study very clearly tells you that violent games do not make children violent. We also must acknowledge, however, if you have a child predisposed to violence, violent games may help make them a better violent child. If they train kids to do other things, they also will train that, and we need to accept that, and we need to start understanding the connection between games as a form of training. We can't blanket say, you know, they don't affect kids. It's not true. I like to call the group of people who are really uh, driving this trend forward Generation G. And there are 126 million millennials in the United States and the EU, plus younger kids who we can't yet count, that form Generation G. And what Generation G is different, in, in the way that Generation G is different from X, Y, and all the different generations that, that we may belong to, is that video games are the primary form of entertainment that Generation G is consuming. It is their primary form of entertainment. And this is already starting to have a tremendous effect on society. All around us, Generation G's desire for game-like experiences is reshaping industries. From Foursquare, which caused the mobile social networking uh, ecosystem to actually start, to companies like Nike, you know, and uh, Coke, and Chase, and also, of course, Zynga, which owes, you know, much of its success to games. The trend that underlies this whole pattern is called gamification, and it's a word that many of you, I'm sure, have heard. And a simple definition of gamification is it's the process of using game thinking and game mechanics to engage audiences and solve problems. Part of the reason why gamification has become such an emergent topic right now is because of Generation G's effect on culture and society already. Their expectations are different. Some examples of gamification that you may have seen that are really fascinating to me are the emergence of in-dash games in cars. Today, if you buy a hybrid or uh, electric plug-in electric vehicle, you will almost certainly see the product of $100 million worth of tooling and research and development in the form of a Tamagotchi-style game in a dashboard designed to make you a more ecological driver. It is a simple sort of, most of the game mechanics are very simple. A plant grows as you drive more ecologically and withers if you don't, like those virtual pets, Tamagotchi. This is an example of, you know, gamification at work. Another really interesting example is a thing called Speed Camera Lottery, designed by Kevin Richardson, based in uh, San Francisco, works for MTV. Awesome guy. And this is the concept in Speed Camera Lottery. You know those speeding cameras that you pass by and they take your picture and send you a ticket? So in many Scandinavian countries, the ticket that you get is actually based not on how fast you were going, but how much money you make. So the more you make, the bigger the ticket. So Kevin re-engineered a speeding camera in Sweden 
that instead of just giving tickets to people who drive over the speed limit that pass the camera, anybody who drives under the limit is entered into a lottery to win the proceeds of the people who speed. <laughs> it is game thinking, that term I described earlier, the core foundation of gamification, it is game thinking in its purest and most beautiful form. Take a big negative reinforcement loop and turn it into a small incremental positive reinforcement loop. It had the effect of dropping speed by over 20% at the point of intervention. Corporations have also become aware of the trend of gamification and the effect of games on people like Generation G. Gartner Group says that by 2015, 70% of all uh, the global 2000, the biggest companies in the world, will be actively using gamification, and 50% of their process of innovation will be gamified, which is an astonishing, astonishing thing. It's a huge change. And what this all points to is a future that looks pretty different from the world that we live in today. Generation G and those driving the gamification meme forward are advocating for a different world. It's a world in which things move at a faster pace than they did for you and me. It's a world in which there are rewards everywhere for actions that people take. The rewards don't always have to be cash rewards. They can be meaningful status rewards, meaningful access rewards, meaningful powerful power rewards. A world in which there's extensive collaborative play. This is one of the things that Generation G does so much differently than even my generation. I mean, I remember going to school and teachers struggling to come up with exercises that we could do as a team that would be graded as a team, right? In the end, those group exercises always boiled down to an individual score, which distorted the way that people behaved. But Generation G plays a lot of games that are purely collaborative, in which there is group value, and this will also affect our world in untold ways. And Generation G, the fun future, is a much more global world. It turns out that we are already out of touch. We are the generation most out of touch with our future or current children than any generation in history. We like to think that baby boomers' parents were the most out-of-touch people, right, in the world. They're the ones who had to deal with the, like, summer of love and sex and drugs and all that kind of stuff. We still make phone calls. I mean, we are the ones with the problem. And we are going to be the most out-of-touch generation in history. Of course, it's also true, and I'm here to tell you, and I will be the one to tell you, the kids are all right. They're going to be just fine. And we, we don't need to worry, strictly speaking, about kids and games and the effect that it will have on the world. And not just are the kids going to be all right. Frankly, the kids are going to be awesome. But it's going to take your help to make the kids awesome. And I have a prescription for you. This is the best prescription anybody is ever going to write in your life. But I'm going to write it for you right now in your mind. I don't have an actual pad. And just for clarity, disclaimer, I'm not actually a doctor. All right. So I am going to, however, write a prescription for you all. And this is the prescription that if you have children or you work with children or you desire to work with children or you want to change the world, this is the absolute positive best thing that you can do with your time from now until I see you in the retirement home on the coast of Spain or in the virtual world, wherever you choose to retire. Um, which is get into the game with your kids. Stop fighting the game trend, if that's where you are right now. Don't fight the game trend. Become one with the game. Enter the game. Understand it. Understand the dynamic of how your children play the games that they play. Understand how their minds work from the context of the game outward rather than from the world outside inward. The world that we live in right now, the world of Sunday afternoons, drinking a cup of herbal tea, reading some old book, 
chilling out by the window is over. <laughs> and that's okay. There's a lot more things that we can do that are fun and engaging. And if you take away one thing from today's presentation, I hope it is you get a chance to go play with your kids. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.